had been driving 10 hours straight. I told myself at the beginning of this trip that I wouldn't overdo it, but here I was fully overdoing, feeling exhausted. I was actually scared to take this trip. Two weeks by myself, driving around the country, aimlessly, basically. I didn't necessarily want to be doing it like this, but it ended up making sense. It was the end of June, and although the worst of COVID had seemed to have passed, it was obvious that there was still quite a bit to go before we were out of the woods. So what was the point of taking a trip like this anyway? I couldn't really enjoy anything. Going out to any sort of venue or establishment just seemed irresponsible, as did hanging out in major cities or anywhere that was densely populated. And that was why I was so excited about this trip, because it was basically the only trip that was available, a scavenger hunt of places off the beaten path, a COVID-friendly adventure to satisfy my urge to travel during a time where travel just wasn't possible, a trip that I would likely never take if this never happened, and a route that I doubt has ever been taken before. But I hope after listening to this, many people take it after me. This is that story. I'm Giulio Gallarotti, and this is Pack Light Season 1, A COVID-Friendly Road Trip. So, I know you all have a friend who did some kind of road trip at some point during COVID, but I promise you that I think this one will take the cake. This is a podcast about an 11-day road trip that I took by myself in late June into early July of 2020. I traveled over 5,300 miles through 18 different states. And by the time I was done, I'd visited 48 of the 50 states. A couple weeks later, I decided I would actually complete all 50 by the end of the summer. It's important to note that nothing particularly exceptional happened during this trip. And that's part of the reason why I think this podcast is unique. I intend to walk you through every valuable moment of the trip, which I think will come together to form a pretty remarkably unremarkable, very interesting story. You're probably thinking that that isn't very compelling of a pitch, but hear me out. I have another podcast called Oops, which I host with my good friend, Francis Ellis. And I've developed sort of a reputation for being a good storyteller. But I think that if you break down what I'm talking about in those stories, oftentimes you'll see that it's nothing that interesting. I think more than anything else, I just pay attention. The interesting part, of course, is in the details. And I think that every day has something different in it and something worth telling people about. I think part of what makes this road trip story interesting is that A, it's a little unusual. Not very unusual, but definitely a little unusual. It's unusual because I did it fairly early on into COVID, by myself, didn't really hit any major cities, partly because of COVID, but also because it made the decision to stick to the route easier because there literally wasn't an alternative. I was avoiding nightlife, you know? The dots I would be connecting on this trip were mostly national park sites, the vast majority being somewhat unknown. The route is one that I created myself, and I doubt you'll ever meet somebody who did the same route before me, not to mention by themselves. And the second reason, this trip was just very me. Anyone who knows me would tell you that this is something I would do through and through. I like seeing new things, I like learning about stuff, and I don't care if anyone wants to come. Obviously I prefer it, but if they don't want to, I'm still down to do it by myself. Be sure to note that during this podcast, I plan to go off on tangents all the time, either to give context or because it somehow pertains to the story or the trip in some fashion, sometimes loosely. But I think that most of the stuff I choose to talk about will be interesting or funny in some ways. Bear with me. The other thing about a lot of what I would deem interesting stories that I have to tell, I sometimes have trouble being able to express highlights or good anecdotes for a couple of reasons. First of all, people ask, but then if I were to really tell the story, it would just take too long, probably. And it's also hard to decide which part of it to tell. 
When I got back from this trip in particular, people would ask me, what was the highlight of the trip? And my honest answer would have to actually be all of it. Literally every day had something incredible and life-changing in it, something memorable that I'll never forget. Whether it was stressful or exciting or scary or something that made me feel emotional for some way, whatever. It doesn't matter what it was. Each day had something like that. And a lot of the times, it would be in places that I never expected for that to happen. And I think that that also pertains to why I think this is such an interesting story when you really look at it closely. By the end of the trip, I had a very detailed list of things that I could forget, but that I didn't want to forget. And like I said before, another problem that I have when telling back some stories is that there's just simply too much to tell. If someone asks me about a certain aspect of the trip or whatever, they don't want me to talk to them for an hour. That would just be cruel and unusual punishment. This is the perfect medium for that, the podcast. I can dig deep into detail, and it makes the story better, and it makes for better listening. I was reading famous travel quotes when I was trying to come up with a name for this, and I found this quote by Henry David Thoreau. The man who goes alone can start today, but he who travels with another must wait until that other is ready. And I thought that that really resonated with me because that is what this trip was. I took this trip alone because it was more important for me to do it than to have company. I didn't want to do it alone, but I didn't want to wait. And I asked at least a dozen friends, all who declined for a variety of reasons. At some point mid-trip, I texted Chris, the producer of this podcast, and I told him that I wanted to make it into a podcast. I was excited because I felt like I was going to get to share it with people. And I hope that reliving this journey with me will feel as good for you as it feels for me getting to tell you about it. So here we go. Here's the backstory. COVID-19. Things are obviously very tense, cooped up and cohabitating with people for extended periods of time. I live with a family of friends in New York City, and typically we're all off doing our own things. But when it's all of us in the house all the time, it's kind of hard to have me time or alone time in any capacity. I love them all dearly, but I started to feel like I needed some time to myself. So I started thinking of different kinds of trips that I could do during this. But every time I started to think about it, I would just hit a wall. Traveling is impossible. Can't travel internationally anywhere. Domestic travel seemed maybe possible, but flying isn't ideal either. My girlfriend Hillary went to Palm Springs for the weekend and ended up living there for three months. We were like displaced for real. Finally, she came back to the East Coast in late May and she came out to stay with me on Long Island. And we never could really find the proper rhythm and we ended up taking off soon after that. Where would we go? Our friends Ricky and Julie were going to Florida and they had asked us to come down and stay with them. So we figured what the hell, that could be really fun. We were staying with them in a very nice private community. The bunch of amenities that were off limits due to COVID. Golf course, tennis court, sauna, food set up, everything you could ever want. And it's one of those clubs where their parents have to hit an annual minimum spend that they never hit. So in theory, we could order a bunch of food whenever we wanted. But unfortunately, all that stuff was off limits, like I said, for two weeks because we were, we were required to quarantine. But that didn't matter. We had an incredible time anyway. Back in this time, people leaving New York had to quarantine when they went anywhere else, which is funny because a couple of months later, it was the complete opposite way around. Like, if you were going to New York from anywhere else, you had to quarantine. But it was still early in the game. So we, basically, we would just stay at the house, cook, chill by the pool, relax, and it was fantastic. I was really enjoying myself. But in the back of my head, it frustrated me that I had all this free time to travel, with comedy temporarily being on hold. But the COVID just made that impossible. Typically, I either don't have enough time or enough money to travel. But now I had both of those things, and it was just so annoying that I couldn't execute. I've always wanted to travel to all 50 states, and I'm starting to get close at this point. At this point, I've been to every state besides Alaska, Alabama, 
Arizona, Mississippi, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Texas, Wisconsin. So I started to think that maybe we could take a long weekend. You know, if Hillary could get a day off and we could drive from Florida through Mississippi, spend the weekend at the National Coastline, uh, which is a National Park Register site, by the way, and I'll explain why that is significant later. But we sort of decided that these plans might all be too ambitious. We would end up spending a lot of money, and we had heard that maybe Mississippi Coast wasn't that exciting anyway. So then I started thinking maybe we can do this. We can go stay with her parents in Chicago, and during that weekend, or perhaps during the week while she was working, I or we could go on a road trip from Chicago through Wisconsin to North Dakota, you know, which are two states I had never been to, obviously, and spend the weekend in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that Theodore Roosevelt National Park was in the farthest western part of North Dakota, which happens to be a very wide state. Obviously, the, and it wasn't making sense anyway. And this was just really pissing me off. Also, we just had a pretty sweet in Florida. There didn't seem to be an opportunity to spark any of this into motion or to make any of this make any sense. So one day, we're just hanging out in Florida, and I asked if it would be okay if I borrowed one of their cars to go on a hike in the Everglades National Park. Anyway, I've recently become obsessed with national parks, so I was happy about the coincidence. Plus, my friends were all busy doing stuff anyway, so it worked out. Now, let's pause for a minute, and let me give you a little backstory on the origin of my little national park obsession. Let's rewind to fall 2019. Life is completely normal. I was doing what I normally do on weekends, hanging with my girlfriend Hillary and heading to an early dinner at one of our favorite spots, Sugarfish. The most accessible and affordable omakase experience. Tender, delicious, fresh fish served course after course in the most satisfying fashion. Tuna sashimi with house ponzu sauce, sea bream with citrus salt, bright orange salmon littered with sesame seeds, and a crispy and delicious toro hand roll. Just a few of my favorite items from the Nozawa menu option that I always choose. felt like I've been living the same weekend over and over again in New York. So I was trying to think outside the box for new things that I could be doing. Earlier that week, I was reading into cool things to do in New York City that you'd never think to do. And one of those things was to visit the birthplace of Theodore Roosevelt. Well, Sugarfish doesn't take reservations, and the birthplace happens to be directly across the street. So it was the perfect activity to kill time. Now, it isn't exactly the most impressive of sites to visit. The birthplace is inside a very nice townhouse the exterior, but when you get inside, the setup isn't anything particularly impressive. It's just a bunch of pictures and facts about Theodore Roosevelt, confined for the most part to one room, set up kind of like a middle school science fair, with kind of like, uh, you know, those boards that have kind of like a triptych set up. There's like the middle and then the two sides that are a little smaller, it kind of folds together, opens and closes. And the upstairs is closed. There might be some kind of tour you can take, but it's unclear. In the back room, there's an educational video playing. Now, I noticed the people at the front were wearing park ranger outfits, which I found to be quite odd. I started asking some questions, indirectly, of course. I wasn't going to be like, dude, why are you guys dressed like park rangers in New York City? (laughs) But after asking a few questions, I learned quite a bit of interesting information about the National Park Service, which was started by Theodore Roosevelt at the beginning of the 20th century. 
I learned that there were 419 official national park units in the country, including obvious ones like Yellowstone, but also things as small as this house that I was standing in. I looked at Hillary, who rolled her eyes because she realized what was going through my brain. She always accuses me of taking on oppressive interests. My previous one that I'm still working on <laughs> is that I would digest every single room in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, listen to every single audio accompaniment of every exhibit and piece that had it. I'm still working on that one, by the way. I was getting pretty close until COVID got in the way. I'm like 80% done. Anyway, this, she thought, and she wasn't wrong, would serve to become a new interest of mine. I try to make sure I prevent these interests from becoming too oppressive, but my new mission was simple. Anytime I was within the proximity of one of these national park sites, I would try to visit. I had already been to quite a few, including some national monuments in Washington, D.C., the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Yellowstone, Joshua Tree in California, this is just to name a few and to give you an idea of what sort of places are on the list. During lunch, I was looking at the list to see which ones I had already been to and which ones I could theoretically make day trips to. So from then up until when the pandemic hit, I started going to as many New York City national park sites as I could. Some are things I'd known about for years. For example, the Statue of Liberty. In fact, the day that I went to the Statue of Liberty was the same day that Kobe Bryant was tragically killed in a helicopter crash. I remember hearing dozens of people talking about Kobe Bryant in different languages. It was kind of a gloomy day to begin with, and rumor had it the pandemic was making its way to America in a significant way. So I assumed, obviously, that couldn't be possible. In fact, I'm on the record on my podcast, Oops, saying that it was definitely going to just blow over. Nice call, dude. Some of the national park sites in New York are just things that I didn't even realize were there, like Grant's tomb, which is the burial of former president and Civil War general Ulysses S. Grant, and the butt of the famous joke, who's buried in Grant's tomb. Or even, for example, the African Burial Ground, which is on the southern tip of Manhattan, which people consider the greatest archaeological discovery in the history of Manhattan. They discovered a mass grave where 419 people from African descent were buried, some free but mostly enslaved. Some other notable places I visited were Hamilton Grange, which was the home of Alexander Hamilton, Castle Clinton, Federal Hall, the Stonewall Inn, and Sagamore Hill, which was Teddy Roosevelt's home near Oyster Bay on Long Island. Some places required a tour to go inside. I actually happened to arrive at Hamilton Grange right before the tour started, and I decided to join it. The tour was pretty underwhelming. They showed us a video of the house being moved from its original site. How exciting. The video appeared to be on a cassette tape, judging from how poor the quality was. The guide, after the video, surveyed the group. Wasn't that video just great? And everyone was like, yeah, oh my god, wow, that was, that was incredible. And I was like, what video did you guys just watch? Like, that was an unbelievably boring. The guide kept asking people if they had any questions, and the only person who responded with a question was a three-year-old boy who kept repeating the same statement that was not a question. I have a baby brother. He just kept saying that. And it was cute the first time, but by the fifth time, I couldn't decide what was more annoying, the fact that the kid's parents were allowing him to continue wasting all of our time or that the guide actually continued taking the question. Anyway, fast forward back to Florida. 
So I set off early in the morning to go on my hike so I could get back by early afternoon. A few days earlier, I had seen a gigantic alligator in a pond while Ricky and I were fishing off the dock. I was hoping to see more of those up close. When I finally got down to the hike, I felt like I had entered a very isolated part of the world. It's very muggy, and the surrounding towns didn't exactly appear to be the nicest places to live. Not that I expected them to be, but still. We all know that Florida doesn't exactly have the best reputation, but the Everglades are a very exciting ecological playground nonetheless. A Google search yielded this description of the park. The Everglades is the largest remaining subtropical wilderness in the United States. It consists of 1.5 million acres of sawgrass marshes, mangrove forests, and hardwood hammocks dominated by wetlands. It is home to endangered, rare, and exotic wildlife. When I approached the entrance, I noticed that there was a gigantic prison directly across the street. I thought, what a crazy place to be locked up, literally in the middle of the swamp. I just pictured inmates getting attacked by mosquitoes during their allotted outside time. I pictured them trying to work out and do push-ups and just getting swarmed and bitten. Being out in open, raw nature was an incredible thrill. I wasn't sure whether that feeling of excitement was amplified since I'd been cooped up for the past four months, or if there was more to it. Maybe I was just hungry for an adventure, hungry to hit the open road, to make memories and make my own personal opinions about different places in the country that I've heard so much about. I'd been doing nature trails out on Long Island where I'd been locked down, and although those trails were all beautiful, I wanted to get out there and really see some wilderness. Not to mention I literally did every single nature walk that existed on the southern tip of Long Island. Literally all of them. <laughs> I got out of the car. I started walking down the path. There were the biggest crickets I'd ever seen, everywhere on the boardwalk. Like you had to try not to step on them, there were so many. And when I did by accident, I heard a big crunch. Not ideal. About 300 feet into the path, I saw a gigantic alligator. The thing seemed like it was at least 10 feet long. And wide, too. It looked like what I assumed a crocodile looked like. In my brain, alligators were small and narrow, like the fake ones sitting outside of everyone's pools in Florida to scare away the seagulls. I got about 20 feet away from it, and then I decided I probably shouldn't cross its path. They say you're supposed to run away from alligators in zigzags because they can't run straight on or something. I'd also heard that it was really hard to shoot them, because if you don't hit a very specific point in their temple, the bullet ricochets. I have absolutely no idea if any of that's true, and I don't plan on looking into it until I go back down. And anyway, I did not want to find out today either. So, I turned around a couple minutes later. A family walked past me, and I told them about the alligator, kind of warning them, but also excited. You know, there's a gator over there or whatever. They just didn't seem impressed at all. And when I looked back over my shoulder, I noticed that they walked right past it. I apparently had wimped out, but whatever. I had had my fill, so after about an hour of poking around, I decided to head back. I stopped by the Biscayne Bay National Park on the way back as well, just to check out the view from the shore. Gorgeous, of course. That park, in particular, is accessible mostly by boat, and that option wasn't available because of COVID. Plus, I didn't have time anyway. When I got back to my friend's house in Palm Beach, something was different. The seed had been planted in my brain, and somehow, I needed to figure out a way to hit the open road. I didn't care with who or how, but I knew that somehow I had to make it happen. And the thing that made it possible was the most unlikely of things. A couple days after that, I was doing what I had been doing the entire time I was in Florida, sipping a white claw by the pool while I watched Ricky roll up a blunt with the hilarious titled Diamond Blunt Trap. It became a running joke in the house. Before I left for the store, he would say, yo, can you grab a couple diamonds on your way back? I personally never learned how to roll anything in my life, which I'm embarrassed about. 
but I've always told myself, at least you can drive a stick shift. <laughs> That's somehow a comparable skill in my mind. The only thing that I had coming up that week was I had a call back Friday morning for a beer commercial that was scheduled to shoot in Atlanta. I'd been auditioning for commercials for years, and I know that if you don't hear back within a day or two, you likely didn't book it. I knew that I had until the end of day Monday to hear, or it wasn't going to happen. I kept checking my phone to see if I had any emails or missed calls from my agent. Nothing. I had fallen victim to that classic actor downfall, which is before you've even gotten the job, you're picturing yourself working the job that you hadn't even yet booked. I was envisioning how cool it would be to book work during the pandemic. I knew that all theatrical stuff, TV and movies, had been shut down till the end of 2020. I was surprised they were even doing commercials. I was also thrilled to be auditioning for a TV commercial during this at all. The audition would be held on Blue Jeans, which is basically Zoom. I had the first audition a week or two earlier in New York, and I guess it went well because now I had a callback in Florida. A couple easy, funny lines, a little improv, whatever. Also, it was nice because normally if you travel and there's a callback, you have to do it in person. But for now, for once, I actually was able to do it remotely, so that was pretty sweet. The callback went well. I made a joke up top about how I was in Florida, and I asked the director, David Shane, if he could tell, because there was a ceiling fan behind me. The other girl I read with had this professional background setting that was like all professionally lit and bright. And I remember thinking, this girl's trying way too hard. There's no way she's gonna get it. <laughs> I also remember thinking, after it had ended, that it's possible that I booked. And that was Friday morning. So I thought that if I really knocked it out of the park, they might let me know today even. If not, it's possible I'd hear this weekend, but if not, definitely by end of day Monday. Just to give you some context, commercials are not something that an actor books all the time. I had just shot my first national commercial that actually aired the previous summer. And before that, I had auditioned probably 500 times, booked three national commercials total, but all that I was either cut out of or that never aired. And this is just to give you an idea of how hard it is to book a commercial and have it actually air. Airing is the important part for the actor because if it airs and you're in it, that's when you make residuals. But that's how you make the real money. So yeah, I've only had that happen one time. Anyway, now it's Monday, and time is running out. I still haven't heard anything. It's 4.55 p.m., and I go into the room where Hillary's working on her computer, and I say to her, well, it looks like I didn't book the commercial. I hang in the room for a minute or two, and at 4.58, I notice my phone ringing. It's someone from my agency. I'll never forget the feeling when I heard, Julio, hey, it's Michael Raymond. You booked it. I jumped in the air and gave a Rafael Nadal-esque fist bump as Hillary started leaping with excitement. I will be shooting the following Sunday in Atlanta. More details to come. I was literally high with excitement. How the hell did I just book a job during this pandemic? It seemed like it was just complete madness. The only problem now was where was I going to go afterward? I knew that my friends in New York were going to be a little weird about me coming back to the house after just having flown. I thought, well, maybe I could come back to Florida or go back to New York. But the pandemic's happening. I was about to be on set with hundreds of people after being in an extremely busy airport. We all agreed that it would probably be best if we didn't go back to Florida, at the very least. So Hillary decided she would head back to Chicago, and I guess I would meet her afterward. We were, after all, planning on heading to Chicago at some point. And that is when the idea hit me. tried to justify it, of course, so that no one could tell me that I was being extra, 
or that this was crazy or whatever objections that I anticipated. But I figured that if I have to fly through Atlanta by myself, of course it was gonna be aggressive to immediately hop on a plane and go anywhere. What if I got COVID and, and infected people? We had been on very high alert down in Florida as well since they were having record cases almost every day. So I decided I would do this. I would take the road trip I had been dying to take. I would fly from Atlanta to Alabama. From there, I would plan a trip with national park sites being the checkpoints along the way. And within that route, I would also pass through every state that I hadn't been to, minus Alaska and Arizona for obvious logistical reasons. But I would, over the next few days, write out a comprehensive itinerary where I could see some of these awesome national parks, get off the beaten path, and come up with a route where I avoided COVID hotspots and big cities. The path less traveled type of theme, staying in semi-random places and seeing this beautiful country in what is, in my opinion, the only doable trip during all this madness. I could minimize my personal chances of contracting COVID while still getting out there on the open road. I started planning immediately. Someone in production called me the next day when I was in the car. We were on our way to go pick up to-go margaritas from the club that we could finally use. Our two-week quarantine had ended and we could start picking up food from the club in the community. We were all excited to be able to start using the facilities, so it was kind of a bummer that Hill and I had to leave. I remember the look of confusion on Ricky's face when the travel coordinator asked me, Where would you be flying to and from? And I said, uh, Well, the final destination is anywhere in Alabama. She said, Sorry. I was like, Yeah, I don't know. Mobile will be great, but also Birmingham works. And I, I saw the look on Ricky's face in the side of my eye, like, You're insane. <laughs> I was afraid that he would try to talk me out of it or something if I went into too much detail. So we kind of unspokenly sat in silence, agreeing to disagree about having to say anything. We are very good friends, and we have a pretty good understanding of each other. I honestly think better than either of us even know. Booking this trip was not going to be cheap. But since I had already canceled my Greece vacation and was expecting to get quite a bit of money back for canceled flights, hotel stays, and all that, I was also expecting my tax refund. I figured I could potentially swing it. Update on that. Unfortunately, after filing a claim and getting a refund, Amex later deemed that we were not eligible for a refund and rebuild my card. Like three months later. It sucked. Whatever. Anyway, the commercial shoot ended up getting extended, and I was told that I'd have to shoot an additional day. But we got out early on that second shoot day. So I had time to do stuff, and I figured that what better place to start my road trip than in Atlanta? Technically, I didn't have a car yet, but thematically speaking, there were stops I could hit in the city, and it would fall nicely within the road trip's national park. There's some cool ones in the Atlanta area. First, I would check out the Chattahoochee National Recreation Area, the Google description. Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area preserves a series of sites between Atlanta and Lake Sydney Lanier along the Chattahoochee River, Georgia, United States. The 48-mile stretch of river affords public recreation opportunities and access to historic sites. Some of these national recreation areas span over many miles or many different areas, so I decided to go to the closest noteworthy pen I could find, and that was the Paces Mill Palisades Unit. I had to get an Uber to get there, and as I stood outside waiting for my Uber, a homeless guy approached me. I'm of course used to this in New York, but being in a new city and in the midst of COVID, I was less thrilled about this interaction than I normally do. He started shouting, Hey man! Hey man! And then he started spelling out a phrase. R-E-P-E-T. 
E-N-T. God is good. He then approached me for some sort of validation, but didn't ask for money. It was really weird. (laughs) I reached out my elbow for a COVID-friendly elbow pound. Seems like a fair compromise. We elbow pounded, and he walked out of my life forever. Thought about how bizarre that was for a couple seconds, and then the Uber got there. On the way down, I noticed the first of a few funny road signs I would see on this trip. This particular one said, Wash your hands like your mother is watching. Seemed like a perfect touch of Southern charm to promote awareness of the current pandemic. The river area was what I imagined a typical summer was like on the Chattahoochee River. People rafting down the river, fishing from the middle of the river. It was shallow enough to do that, apparently. I'm not really used to seeing this kind of thing. Baked in, there were also gorgeous nature walks, which were paved and shrouded in much-needed shade. After I poked around for an hour or so, I called an Uber to take me to my next destination. When the Uber arrived, my driver was really frustrated. And it wasn't because of me. I didn't do anything. He was angry that he had lived in this area his whole life, yet he didn't know that this place was here. He said something like this. Yo, this has been here this whole... Ah, damn, man. I've been driving by here my whole life and I didn't know this shit was here. My dumb ass is sitting here being like, what the fuck am I going to do today? <sighs> hey, man. Thanks for showing me this, man. It's <laughs> cracking up about that. Very nice guy, actually. He thanked me again before dropping me off at my next destination, which was the Martin Luther King National Historic Park. Given all the civil unrest that had been going on in the country during that time, in light of protests, it seemed like a must-visit. The site is comprised of several buildings in Atlanta, Georgia, including Martin Luther King Jr.'s boyhood home and the original Ebenezer Baptist Church, the church where King was baptized and both his father Martin Luther King Sr. and he were pastors. There's also a park with statues and some pretty curated scenery. I still had my garbage with me for my salad that I had eaten down by the river. I used my foot to karate kick the garbage can open before throwing my waist into it. Some lady saw me do it and shouted out of her car window. That was very impressive, young man. (laughs) Thanks, lady. My first stop at all the MLK stuff was his childhood home. I was very touched by the amount of young people of all different races sitting in front of his home proudly. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. MLK is a role model who, in my opinion, transcends race. But also, inevitably, I noticed an extra special glow on some of the faces of the African-American kids sitting on that stoop. Thumbs up, in front of MLK's humble roots, where it all started. Like with any role model, you get this feeling like, they can do it, so can I. And that feeling has to only be amplified when you're near their old stomping grounds. Something about MLK's house made it so obvious that this was the house he lived in. It had such unique colors and was nuzzled right in between two very colorful houses. On the left, a blue house with white finishing, 
and on the right, a peach-colored house with green finishing around the windows. MLK's house was dark, beige facade with a dark brown roofing and shutters around the windows. It almost had kind of a creepy quality to it, but regardless of the vibe you got from it, it stuck out. I bet you that the average person will be able to guess which one was his out of a lineup. I wanted a picture also, but I felt awkward asking people to hold my phone during COVID, especially since the numbers were rising sharply in Atlanta at the time. I took a couple awkward selfies with my mask around my chin, and I decided that I would likely leave myself out of most pictures for the rest of the trip. (laughs) My Uber driver to the hotel after this, after we heard about the rising numbers on the radio, he couldn't help himself but to shout out, What the fuck did you expect? My next stop was the Ebenezer Baptist Church, where MLK used to preach. They were setting up some kind of big event, which seemed odd. Dozens of different media outlets setting up shop, people going in, in their Sunday's best, on a Monday afternoon. I would learn later that they were setting up Rayshard Brooks' funeral ceremonies for the following day, but starting that night. And it seemed powerful to be there while this was all unfolding. Rayshard Brooks had been shot by the police a week earlier as he fled at Wendy's parking lot. I didn't figure out what it was until I heard about it on the radio when I was picked up by my next Uber driver. I started to have this weird feeling like my trip was being narrated around me. And this kind of stuff would keep happening throughout the trip. As I wandered around the grounds of the MLK Park, which included a beautiful fountain and an iconic statue of Gandhi, rain started to lightly fall in a very refreshing way. I did have an umbrella, but didn't necessarily feel like I needed it. I wanted to offer it to a lady whose hair appeared to be getting affected by the rain and humidity but I didn't want to weird her out. We were all keeping our distances from each other after all. I headed back to the hotel to get ready for my trip the next day. I was so excited I could hardly sleep. On the next episode of Pack Light, I almost get trapped in what I thought was a no longer active factory in Alabama narrowly avoid a confrontation with some guy wearing a knife on his belt, and enjoy a decadent lunch by the Gulf National Seashore in Mississippi. Check out my YouTube channel for the entire episode, along with a soothing visual accompaniment, and check out the Instagram, at PackLightPics, for some videos and pictures of the stuff from this episode, and also for a checklist of all the stops I made if you want to try to do a similar trip yourself. There's a link to my playlist in the episode description as well. Message me on Instagram, at NotJulio, N-O-T-J-U-L-I-O, and let me know your thoughts, your suggestions, basically anything you have to say about the episode or anything in general. I'd really love to hear from you. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.